never interested in particularly standard rock guitar sounds. The sound that we were going for in our head just was like so loud and so everything's squashed together. It's a bit like an infinite horizon. It just goes on and on. And unlike a horizon where your eyesight stops with sound, you can imagine it infinitely. Welcome to No Filler, the music podcast dedicated to sharing the often overlooked hidden gems that fill the space between the singles on our favorite records. My name is Quentin, got my brother Travis with me as always. Today we are continuing to dive into shoegaze. Uh, Last week we just briefly touched on it with the band Slow Dive, uh, and today we're going to cover the darlings of the genre, My Bloody Valentine, and their 1991 album, Loveless. And be sure to stick around till the very end of the episode, because we are bringing back our Watcher Herds, and if that doesn't make any sense to you, we'll explain it later. So Travis, when did you first hear My Bloody Valentine? So here's the God, the honest truth, dude. I typically have mixed My Bloody Valentine and My Chemical Romance in my head. Oh, no. Now, I know that those are in two, you know, two different worlds, but I'm just saying like <laughs> I don't think I've ever it's it's very possible that I've never listened to My Bloody Valentine or gotten into them. Okay. Because to me in my brain I'm like, oh, that's just that really bad like oh, band, dude. you know, from the 2000s or whatever. Yeah. Okay, so question for you. So that little intro clip, uh, that was Kevin Shields talking. He's like the brains behind My Bloody Valentine. We'll get into all that in a little bit. Uh, But the song that we introed in is track one off of Loveless is called Only Shallow. Have you ever heard that song before? I have actually heard it. Okay. That doesn't mean, you know, you know, uh, you know, with My Bloody Valentine, it's one of those things where like, Surely I've pulled up Loveless, Loveless, and, and pushed play. Like I know I've done. Yeah. Because I yeah. know I've I've heard that song, and if that's track one, that's probably what happened. I probably queued it up, pushed play, and who knows, got distracted and walked away or something like that. Because I I don't think I've ever gone beyond perhaps the first track. So I'm excited Dude, to and dive in. Let me say something, man. This reminds me of when we covered Animal Collective and their album Sung Tongs. You said something similar. With Animal Collective, and it really bummed me dude, out, I'm, dude. I'm all over the map, dude. When I'm listening to music at, at work, like I get, I get, um, I get ADD with my music, dude. I'll bounce around all over the place. I'll, I'll, I'll get called into a meeting or something, or I'll, you know, have a conversation with a coworker, and then I open up my computer again and, and pull up like, oh, you know, what? let me just switch to something else here real quick. And that's how I end up listening to track one of an album and then forgetting about it and going elsewhere you know so i think that's the case with this because i recognize that song and i don't i can't say that i went beyond that okay well i'm excited to dude i'm excited to share it with you today man um and 
let me say this. So we mentioned briefly last week, um, and I like to use this term, so I'm sorry if you're tired of it, but I like the whole concept of, you know, most genres of music have two sides to their coin, you know? Um, and shoegaze popped up in the early 90s, you know, super late 80s, pushing up right up into the 90s, and then it just kind of went from there. At the same time, grunge was happening. And I feel like those are two sides of a very similar coin, or maybe the same coin. Um, And the more I dive into shoegaze, quote-unquote, the more I'm realizing, okay, I'm like, this is what I'm all about, is the shoegaze side of, of the coin. Uh, for this style of rock and roll in the early nineties, um, so why do you so why, why do you say that they're two sides of the same coin? Because they were they emerged at the same time, or because there's some crossover? No, no. Uh, so, um, well, let's just dive right into it, man. All right. Um, I got a, I got a couple just honestly random artists that I'm going to play a, f- a few tunes from. I say random because there's a lot of. Uh, different artists that you could point to to say, you know, okay, here's where this stemmed from, you know, this and that. Um, but you can really see where shoegaze kind of stemmed from uh, listening to these two artists. I'm talking about Dinosaur Jr. and Sonic Youth. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I can see where you're going with this. Okay. Well, um, let me read a couple quotes here that I thought... Um, kind of encompassed the sound of shoegaze. So again, if you type in shoegaze into Wikipedia, you know, or, you know, if you dive into shoegaze, it's synonymous with dream pop, which to me, it still blows my mind because, and like we mentioned last week to us, and maybe it's just because of our age, but dream pop to us is a very specific sound from, Specifically, the early two thousand. Well, it's right? not the uh, it's the it's not the early two thousand. It's the it's the twenty tens. Twenty tens. The twenty tens. Yeah, um, and I feel like that's because we had a music blog at that time, you know, and we were just bombarded with dream pop bands. Well, I mean, the um, thing is, though, it's because, like you said, it's because of our age. Like, it's not like it's not like we if we had known about shoegaze and dream pop, the origins of it. I don't think we would have confused ourselves and be like wait a minute yeah so uh dream pop combines nebulous distorted guitars with murmured vocals sometimes completely smudged into a wall of noise that's synonymous with shoegaze to me yeah um distorted guitars murmured vocals and uh wall of noise i love that term wall of noise and I think it just kind of summarizes the sound perfectly. Um, so, I mean, what, dude, when I pull up Dream Pop on Wikipedia, it says the style is often over, or it says it often overlaps with the related genre of shoegazing. But it doesn't say. Okay. Although it does say. And the two genre terms have, a, have at times been used interchangeably. I don't know, man. I feel like shoegaze is shoegaze and Dream Pop they're two very distinct sounds to me, but Hey, you know what? I guess the point is that these two terms, uh, 
were coined around the same time and they were talking about the same music. I That's see. the thing. Okay. Yeah. So we mentioned briefly last week the term shoegaze uh, was coined by the British music press and they were talking specifically about how these quote neo psychedelic groups you know during live performances they would just you know kind of stand still somewhat detached you know uh non-confrontational with their heads down um yeah so you're saying like basically gone were the days of like the spandex and the long hair and the super yeah in your face rock and roll right right like we're talking twisted sister or van halen something yeah like that. exactly so here's something I didn't realize, and this is a no-brainer now that I think about it, or, or you know, after reading this, um, the reason they were staring down at their shoes was because they were using effects pedals and and tons of them to get the sound that you know the the sound out of their guitars that that you know is synonymous with with the shoegaze genre. Yeah. Um, so I want to play again. I want to play a couple tracks from uh, the you know a, a few predecessors uh, that were mentioned um, in a few articles that I read. I'm going to start with Dinosaur Junior, um, and this is a song from their album "You're Living All Over Me." It came out in 1987. This song is called "Little Furry Things." <laughs> Yeah, so there's that wall of sound that you're talking about, you know? Yeah, these these bands just, you know, cranked up the distortion. And if you saw them live back then, they cranked up the fucking volume, dude. To where it was just nothing but just like, a wall of sound. Yeah, and it's not just distortion, too. I mean, the sound is like a lot, a lot of fuzz and a lot of, yeah. a lot of reverb. I love it, dude. Especially like, you know, there's like a, like a reverb, like a reverse reverb almost. Yeah, so let me read something, and, you know, I'm I'm lazy here. I'm just pulling from Wikipedia, but I thought this was a good quote for Dinosaur Jr.'s sound. Their use of feedback, extreme volume, and the loud, quiet dynamic, and frontman Massis's droning vocals. So, the word droning here is, is what stood out to me, and I feel like that's kind of where this genre kind of steered away from its predecessors with like you know post-punk and also kind of steered away from another genre that spawned from this which would be just straight up grunge music right yeah definitely because you mentioned sonic youth right yeah sonic we're gonna play a clip from one of their albums they're definitely you know considered sort of like them and um and, and the pixies you know they're sort of the uh, 
the predecessors to grunge, like you're saying. So, yeah, you're probably right to say that. Like, there, there's a split that obviously happens, right? Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna continue this quote here. It says, "It was its own bizarre hybrid. It wasn't exactly pop. It wasn't exactly punk rock. It was completely its own thing." Yeah. So again, this is 1987. Let's jump one year ahead, and I'm gonna play a song from Sonic Youth's album Daydream Nation, which came out in 1988. It's called Teenage Riot. Yeah, man. I mean, that's for a long time has been one of my favorite songs from that era. I love that song, dude. It's great. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. And here's what I love about it, dude. And this is why I'm firmly now in like the shoegaze camp uh, for music around this time. I just love the re- the repetitiveness of the guitar riff. I guess I don't know how to. You know, it's like yeah. I mean, there's like nothing- how they mentioned. They mentioned Dinosaur Jr.'s vocals being droney. Yeah. But to me, I feel like that's a good description of the sound of shoegaze and dream pop. Um, sure. And, the, and, the, and you know, the, the genres that, that gave birth to shoegaze. Um, I just love it, dude. I love that, like, hypnotic kind of state that this kind of music can put you in. Especially, dude, once we get into Loveless, man. That's what it's all about. Um, Let's do it, man. So, well, okay. You know what? I was I was looking at our timestamp here. We're we're under half an hour into recording. I have one more artist I want to play um, because I think this kind of is a good representation of like another style of music that I feel like these artists pulled from, uh, and this is. 
a song that's kind of different from the other songs that this artist was releasing at the time. Uh, but I'm talking about the band The Jesus and Mary Chain, which I don't know about you, dude, but I really didn't know that much about this band <laughs> until I, I looked into My Bloody Valentine and Shoegaze. Uh, but uh, they have an album that came out in 1985 uh, called Psycho Candy. Um, I'm going to play track 10 off of this album. It's called Sowing Seeds. You can definitely hear it. The yeah, influence, you know. So so what I liked about this song and the reason I wanted to play it, like what I love about music, and we say this all the fucking time, dude. I, I love the ways that, that bands will continue to pull from the past as far as music goes and just kinda build on top of that. Like this song is just a straightforward, like pop ballad that could have come out in the the fifties, you know, or sixties or or, you know, early 60s. Yeah, I mean, it would obviously it would have sounded a little bit different, but yeah, I hear what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, it's just that straightforward, uh, you know, uh, what, what was the term they used to use? Uh, teeny bopper? No. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know if I would classify. I mean, like, yeah, there's a little bit of that, like, really, basically just a really simple melody is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, but they, but they, you know, what Jesus and Mary Chain did with that was, you know, throw in all the all those effects and reverb on his voice. Um, but yeah, they they kept it really simple. And if you listen to more music by the Jesus and Mary Chain from this album and going forward, there's a lot of heavy distortion and you know punk with their music. But I just, I, you know skimming through their works i just when this song popped up i was just like yeah I, I gotta play this song just because the fact you know the fact that it came out in 85 um it made me think okay th- this is the music that bands like uh you know dinosaur jr and sonic youth and my bloody valentine this is what they were listening to you know all right so let's dive into some my bloody valentine and we're talking specifically about their album from 1991 called Loveless. So, just briefly here, I wanted to name off a few other big albums from some heavy hitters of the time. Both Smashing Pumpkins and Pearl Jam released their debut albums in 91. Uh, Pearl Jam's Tin, Smashing Pumpkins, Gish. Red Hot Chili Peppers kind of made their way into like the the mainstream with their album Blood Sugar Sex Magic. And then of course you have Nirvana 
with her album Nevermind. Dude, it's so important. I'm glad you did that because it's, I always love just what is the landscape at the time, you know? Like, I always, yeah, exactly. I think it's always really important to, to get that for context and stuff, you know? Yeah. And dude, and for us, so we were four in 91. We weren't paying attention to music. No, we weren't paying attention, but the stuff that we were going to hear on the radio. It was not my bloody Valentine. Yeah. It may have been Nirvana well, or maybe Pearl yeah, Jam. Grunts took over. And dude. Smashing Pumpkins even. But we did not hear my bloody Valentine. And that's because we didn't have anyone that you know, we didn't have anyone in our family. We didn't have an older brother that was into that. No, yeah, because he he went to the other side. He was he was fully yep, into grunge. He was, he, dude, he was on the other side of the coin. We certainly heard Smashing Pumpkins at a young age. I remember he had the, he had um Siamese Dream, and he had all, and he had all those other albums. So yeah, I mean, we heard that's the side of rock that we were exposed to. So yeah, that's yeah, that's why you're right, dude. That's why we never got exposure to this because we were too young. It just wasn't. I mean, gr- dude, grunge was everywhere, dude. Grunge obviously won between the two. Like that, we're not saying we're not saying anything groundbreaking here, you know. No, right. But here, but again, like what I love so much about this, and what I love about music, is that like. To me, shoegaze is grunge, dude. And ah, why? It, you know, uh, why are you saying that though? It, it's just the other side of the coin. That's my point. I'm going to disagree with you on that. But That's I, fine. <laughs> I, I don't think there. The only argument you could make is that if rock and roll had these two divergent branches or whatever on the tree, well, think about this. Then maybe dude. they like, branched off around the same time. But I don't know. Okay, here, dude. I'm because because I'm so in love with the whole coin concept. Like you can't get enough. Of you, it. <laughs> you take a coin. You say, "Okay, here's rock and roll in 1991." Yeah. Here's one side. It's shoegaze. The other side is grunge. I feel like they're just they just kind of go hand in hand. I, I, um, you know what? Let's. I can run with that. I can roll with it. All right. I appreciate. I don't that, see. Brother. It's you're not. You're not. You're not completely far off base here. Thank you. All right. Okay. So um, I'm gonna start off with kind of. Diving into, I'm not going to name off the roster yet, but we're going to talk about Kevin Shields. So I mentioned briefly earlier, he's like he he's the mastermind behind the sound. Uh, he is one of the singers, and he's like the main guitar player for My Bloody Valentine. So he developed this technique uh, that is now it's referred to as glide guitar, uh, where the guitar player will you know, strum the guitar while holding the whammy bar, you mm-hmm. know, with a tremolo arm. Sure. Um, but he's kind of, they're, they're kind of pressing it, you know, they're, yeah. they're using that whammy bar back and forth while they're strumming it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of makes this, it, it, it makes this really weird, like, uh, warbly sound. Yeah. I don't know how yep. to describe it. I mean, that's, it, but... that's what the, the whammy bar does, you know? Yeah. But, you know, but so okay, they're doing uh, it kind of really slight, uh, subtle, right? They're doing it really well, kind of so, subtly, subtly while they're strumming, or what? So here, uh, let's just. I'm just going to let Kevin talk about it himself. Okay. Um, so he only played, as far as I know, um, you know, once he developed the sound, he only played Fender Jazzmasters and Fender Jaguars. Dude, um, the Jaguar. That that's actually really important that you mentioned that because. Obviously, the Jaguar is what Kurt Cobain played. Really, Kurt Cobain played a, f- a Fender Jaguar, so yeah, that's okay. uh, notable. 
Well, yeah. So, and there, and there's, there's a reason behind that. Um, so Fender released this series of interviews with, you know, heavy hitters uh, in rock and roll that played jazz masters for um, the guitar's 60th anniversary. One of the artists they interviewed was Kevin Shields. Um, and I'm going to play just a little bit of that interview. Uh, so this clip starts right as Shields is describing this Jazzmaster guitar that he used during the recording of one of their early EPs called You Made Me Realize. It was a 64, a red 64, and, um, and it just happened that the tremolo one was set. Some of them, are, they can all be a bit different, but his one was just set that it was kind of unusually high, you know, just by pure luck. And I picked it up and started to kind of go, well, this is cool, you know. And literally, um, the first song I ever did using it was a song from the Maybe Realize EP called Thorn. That was the first hour I discovered it. And then and this, two hours later, I did a song called Slow, which was the first time I did that melted kind of effect. Put it through a reverse reverb and then thought well, that sounds good and i thought oh turn the tone down I thought wow it sounds totally like some weird tape sort of copy of a copy of a copy and then it was playing fast and sort of bending the tremolo arm and it going it's sort of going it all happened in like one afternoon okay so basically shields used a jazz master guitar in the studio while they recorded their ep you made me realize back in 88 the reason he used it is because the uh, producer engineer guy at the studio had a jazz master and was like, here, use this. And he mentions that you, you pick up a jazz master and that whammy bar is going to be, it's going to be in different spots on, you know, on the guitar. It's not, they're not, they don't always put it in the exact same spot, but this one happened to be kind of higher up just by chance. And so that made it easier for him to manipulate it to manipulate it yeah Yeah. and since then like again that's all he uses is jazz masters but he will have them custom made for him where they're really high up um so he developed this technique again uh like he had said and you can kind of hear it in the song that was playing in the background that was one of the songs from that ep um Uh, now i will say q that that bass sound definitely sounds grungy so okay well dude this is 88 i'll give it to you yeah okay this is 88 and he he admits like our early stuff not really the best representation of of what i envisioned you know like what i wanted so just wait until you get to loveless dude Um, dude i've been waiting 30 minutes here (laughs) (laughs) um so he would combine like like he mentioned in the in the clip he combined this technique that he created alongside reverse reverb um yeah that's that's often like when you think about the the shoegaze sound mm -hmm. like i said earlier it's a lot of fuzz and a lot of reverse reverb so yeah yep um and then another thing he would do is tune two neighboring strings of his guitar to nearly the same pitch so that also kind of gave this kind of unique uh sound um okay so i got a couple quotes and then we're going to dive into our first song from loveless so i'm quoting uh someone from bbc here 
Kevin Shields' guitar riffs were drowned in an ocean of feedback, played at a volume designed to shake buildings and make a few ears bleed. So you've got Kevin Shields and his ocean of feedback. You've also got Belinda Butcher, who also sings in this band. She also plays guitar. You've got drummer Colm O'Klausoig, God damn it, <laughs> and bassist Deb Googe. When you hear My Bloody Valentine and the whole band playing together, uh, this is another quote here, the whole unit often functions as a single pulse. I love that line. Let's jump into our first song. Um, I'm jumping to track two off of the album. This song is called Loomer. You know, um, the vocals remind me of Billy Corgan a little bit. Yeah, dude. Actually, there's a song on on this record that, like, right off the bat, it just sounds like a Smashing Pumpkins song. So that was kind of a short clip, but it kind of it kind of gives you an idea of that of 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 the vibe. Yeah, I mean, um, like you said, it's just like there's almost it's very hard to even hear like the the distinct instruments as far as like the guitar yeah. but like you said they were all kind of it's all just one unit you know it's all just one wall of sound they all just you know merge together yeah and here's what i love about about that you know after diving into this this was all like very much calculated by shields um so there's this kind of dense like tone um very lo-fi uh, most of the record was recorded in mono. Um, all the tracks were placed right in the middle of the mix. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm quoting someone uh, from this really great article from InMoreAudio.com. It's it's called Engineering the Sound, and it dives into like it really nerds out about how this record was was recorded. And they say. Um, all of these tracks being placed right in the middle of the mix, primarily in mono, challenges the listener to carefully analyze each musical element with every repeated listen. And it's that wall of sound, right? Like it's it's just all just kind of it's just all washed out, you know? Did you? Whoa, hold on a second. You say I what? didn't mean to do that. Too. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. Did you say washed out? I didn't mean to do that. Um, so I'm gonna quote Kevin Shields again as part of the vision of his sound. I really like this. He says, when you go to small concerts, it's not loads of bass and hi-fi sound. 
It's mid-range noise, with everything fighting to be heard. And it's very exciting sounding, and I didn't hear that in music, so that's why our records became quite mid-rangey. I thought that was cool. Like, like what a cool idea, you know? Like, when I go to a concert, like, it doesn't sound like how I hear it on the record, especially if it's, like, a s- small mm-hmm. venue. Mm-hmm. Like, everything just kind of gets drowned out in the reverb and, you know, like... Yeah, the reflection of the noise bouncing off the walls and so all that. So they wanted to capture that on the record. They wanted to capture that on the record. Okay. Um, Interesting. So I still got a lot, a lot of really great uh, stuff to dive into about the recording of this album. But first, uh, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. And we're back, and uh, I wanted to kind of dive into a little bit more into that sound that he created in the recording of this album, specifically with the guitar. There's a lot of things going on in this record that you might not notice, um, which is on purpose, actually. Um, So in the background on almost every song, as far as I know, on this record, there's this guitar feedback recording uh, that Shields uh, recorded from his jazz master to a digital audio tape, which is similar to a cassette tape, you know? So basically re- like recording down in quality, right? Like recording to, to something lower in quality. And then he would sample that guitar feedback through an Akai keyboard to where he could trigger each sound and create a melody. So he created melodies with nothing but guitar feedback. Hmm. Um, and then he would mix this feedback super low down into the track um, to where you almost wouldn't notice it. So basically he was like, you know what? This needs even more noise. So let me just exactly go through, through all this. Trouble. Yeah. And uh, I'm quoting one of their uh, engineers. So they actually went through like quite a few studios and quite a few producers and sound engineers uh, for this album. Uh, I wonder if it's one of those things where like they had, you know, it's like trying to find a, a doctor to give you some weird plastic surgery, you know? <laughs> right. It's like, I'm not like, you know, you guys, this is super noisy here. We need to, you know, unnoise it a little bit. And they're like, no, nope, yeah, we got to move on to the next one. And from what I, from what I read, I mean, they spent a lot of money on this record, dude. Um, yeah. a lot for the time. Um, so, but I'm quoting one of the one of the engineers here uh, said that throwing in this feedback at this low volume, it, like again, it, it would go unnoticed, really, but it gave the song this bubbling little tone underneath. It's quite subtle, but you couldn't take it out because it was a major part of the track. So I'm gonna play my next pick here. Um, now I don't know for sure if this is like a good example of of like okay, here's that feedback. But again, like, it's something that goes unnoticed. But like he, this guy's saying, you can't pull it out because it was just a major part of that sound. Uh, this is maybe my favorite song on the record. This is track five. It's called When You Sleep.
Yeah, man, that's a great, great track. Is that your first time hearing it? Yeah, that's oh, the first time I've heard it. That so, makes me so happy, dude. Yeah, man. So, okay, so here's the thing. So, let's just talk about for a second, um, Slow Dive, or at least compare the two, because we were okay. we mentioned on the Slow Dive episode that, like, Slow Dive was, like, overshadowed by My Bloody Valentine, right? Yeah, yeah. And, dude, and, and the album that we covered... Um, or one of the albums that we like, one of the songs that we covered was from an album that came out in '91. So yeah, and they were and they were record, they were uh, label mates, dude. They were on the same record label. Yeah, yeah. So what I was gonna say was like, what I'm noticing is that my bloody Valentine's music seems to be a bit more melodic than slow dive. They're like, it sounds more interesting and more exciting. Yeah, you know? exciting's a good way to put it because I feel like slow dive is more like. Um, slow. It's more of a safe bet, right? Well, what do you mean by that? As as in, like, the I, I feel like slow dive took less risks. Sure, I mean, but the, but they were just more like, and this is probably the sound that they were going for. But they were just more, they were more melancholy, melancholy, and more drone like. You know, yeah, yeah. If we're talking about shoegaze and it being drone, uh-huh. a lot of drone stuff going. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. My bloody Valentine. I'm not hearing much drone, or at least you know, in the, in the tracks that you play they're they are very yeah. melodic you know yeah absolutely but they're doing um, that wall of sound in, in the same so it's you know it's just a to me it just seems like the, a better execution of of that yeah well, that's just my opinion obviously yeah totally so um you know i mentioned there were quite a few studios and, and engineers involved loveless was recorded over two years 19 different studios over a dozen different engineers that's insane to me how many uh, how many albums are there? Like I don't know how many albums are there that they can say. Yeah, we went to nineteen different studios. Nineteen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's we had wacky, over man. a dozen different engineers involved in getting this done. That is crazy to me. So, like, do you know any any like what what's the reason behind that? Like, what do you, is there any? Do they explain at all? Like, why they couldn't land on a studio? I don't know, dude. I mean, honestly, I did like. I didn't see anything that, you know, th- there's no like huge story behind it. Cause there obviously it's either, you know, he, he, he was it just a perfectionist type thing going on here? I feel or like probably they yeah. just weren't getting along with the studios or like the studios just weren't. I mean, so, you know, like the, like the case with most front men and lead singer, you know. Well, it uh, sounds to lead, me like this guy had a very specific sound. That he's going yes. With, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one thing I thought that was interesting, I feel like we need to bring up here, I thought was really interesting. Their drummer, again, his last name is hard for me to pronounce. Uh, his first name's Colm. Um, Colm got really sick during uh, the recording of Loveless. Um, and again, this was over a span of two years here. So he was absent from you know a pretty large amount of the album's recording. So Shields actually recorded hundreds of different drum hits and and beats and drum fills from Colm. And then he cut them up and created the drum tracks himself for nine out of 11 of these songs. So the majority of the drums that you hear are sampled hits, you know, and little drum fills and stuff from Colm, but pieced together by Shields. Interesting. Which, yeah. Um, 
the first song that I played as our little intro clip, uh, the song's called Only Shallow. That was actually uh, Colm playing the drums live. But it's interesting because you listen to the whole album all the way through, and it all set like you can't tell the difference. Well, it's funny because we talked about how slow dive, like the guy was slowly phasing out the drummer because he was yeah. doing electronic. But this was kind of the opposite, where it's like, yeah, he it's he wanted sort of he, the drummer. He yeah, he wanted Colm's drumming still intact. Yeah, so he did the best he could by by recording as much as he could of Colm. And his Dude, beats you know and uh, slicing that makes, together and stuff. That makes me uh, respect the guy. Yeah. I don't know why. Because it's like, you know, you said this guy was sick, right? Yeah. He, all, all, I've, all I read was that he was recovering from an illness. Okay. So inst- instead of just going to the electronic drum machine, they they, they did whatever they could to, yeah. to get his sound in the studio with it. Yep. I mean, to literally cool. have cool. his... You know, drumsticks beating those the snare. Yeah, I like. And, you that. know, that's cool. I like that. Um, okay, so my next clip. So I've done this a few times before in past episodes, uh, and it's really important with this album to kind of show transitions between songs. Okay. Um, again, I mentioned those that the guitar feedback that that he kind of placed low in the mix. Um, well, if you listen to a song all the way through towards the end a lot of times he'll kind of let these guitar feedback loops just kind of linger and and kind of transition you really nicely into the next song so uh, i'm going to play the very end of when you sleep which is the song we just played and we're going to fade us right into the next track which is might be my all-time favorite my bloody valentine song it's really hard to pick one but these two songs back to back my favorite like snapshot of my bloody valentine
Yeah, I, I'm glad you. I'm glad you did that, man. Because yeah, you're right. It is. It's. It, it is important sometimes to hear how an album transitions from song to song, especially when it's. It's obviously done intentionally, right? Yeah, like that's not a cool. No, come on, that's not a coincidence that that those two two songs come one after another because it's such a. Like it hits you like more so like, you know, we talk about, oh, it's a wall of sound, you know, it just comes at you like mm-hmm. that transition from the, the, from the, you know, basically the reverb coming off the last track that goes straight into that like loud hit yeah. of that, of that riff. I mean, it's just, it's awesome, dude. Yeah. If it I was just it. an abrupt like end and then like no, yeah, it's half more a second of silence and then boom right into to this song yeah it wouldn't be the same it's more effective that way and we even talked about this on the last episode when we were just kind of reintroducing ourselves and whatnot like the reason that this is significant is because this was the 90s there were no itunes wasn't a thing yet or at least in the 91 it wasn't yeah like people didn't just buy, you know, people would a lot of times push play on a record and, and let it play. Yep. And so you yeah. would get to hear these, tra- you'd get to hear these transitions, you know? Right. And if you, if you jump on Spotify and, and, you know, again, press play on, on the top tracks from an artist, it's going to be pulling you from one album to the next. You're not going to hear these transitions. Like that's what we're all about, man. And that's as far back as I can remember. And I'm not like, pat myself on the back or anything but like i i've always just appreciated albums as a whole you know uh, it's the only way to get the true uh the, the full picture of what the what what is you know an album is is a piece of art as a whole right so you can't get the full picture unless you listen from start to finish you know yeah okay so real quick here as we're fin- as we're wrapping up here that's all the songs i have f- for this record um let's talk about the vocals real quick um so and i you know this goes in line with the genre and again when i think of shoegaze i think of my bloody valentine um part of it is that vocals that are kind of like low in the mix like again that was kind of what they were going for just wall of sound you know everything's just all right there like you can't tell what they're what they're saying a lot of times it's just all just kind of lost in you know in the super loud feedback and distortion and all that um that was another thing that was intentional by shields one thing that he did was he he would take a dozen vocal tracks so you know a dozen of the same part of a song sung he would take these different tracks and stack them on top of each other and play them simultaneously which kind of gave this weird chorus effect um another thing that shields wanted was to kind of have like an intimate setting for him and and Belinda uh, when they were singing. He made sure that the vocal booth was kind of curtained off, you know, kind of shielded from everything else um, so that no one else could see them singing. And then he told their sound engineer to turn off the monitors in the control room so that their engineer couldn't even hear them while they were singing, you know? So... That again, like you said, you, you know, we, you respect Shields for yeah. making sure that the drummer was still heard, even though he couldn't play. This is right. something that I respect about the guy a lot. Like he wanted to make sure that Belinda, you know, that they were comfortable, you know, singing during this album. 
And and that's to me like that's cr- that's crazy that he told the sound engineer who was there to engineer the sound turn off your control monitors. I don't even want you to hear us. <laughs> that's crazy to me. Yeah, that's interesting. She must have had, you know, th- there must have been moments where she was, you know, had some stage fright or something like that or like something. Gun, you know, was a little gun shy about singing in front of people. Yeah. You know. Another thing it says here that they blanketed the booth so and it says here that 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 would eliminate reflections you know or or their their uh voices bouncing off of anything so everything was like the walls and everything was completely blanketed so that would kind of dampen the sound and then he threw it into this compressor too and then on top of that you know he he created this chorus of sound by just stacking all these vocal tracks on top of each other really cool um that's all I got, dude, for for this record. So, have you? Was this the first time you really gave it a listen as well, or what? No, dude. This is one of those albums. So, uh, shout out to Larry Lodra, who we've had on our podcast. Uh, we covered Nick Drake's um, "Brighter Later" with him a f- quite a few episodes back, but uh, he shared this album with me back in probably 2007. And yeah, dude, I'm I'm. I'm very familiar with this album. I love it. It's one of my favorites. Again, awesome, dude. I hope I hope you give it a good listen now. No, I, yeah, I will, dude. I'll cue it up, start to finish, bro. Oh, you don't gotta tell me that. Don't walk off and go to some meeting and come back and forget. I mean, about it. I can't. I can't tell you. I'm not gonna go into a meeting tomorrow because it's gonna okay. Happen. Well, like go to you know, take a walk, take a long stroll in the neighborhood or something. Put That's some earbuds one. in. That's a long ass stroll, dude. This album's like over 40 minutes long, dude. Dude, don't worry about it. It'll get done. <laughs> I'll I'll listen to it. All right. All right. So uh, I want to give credit where credit is due because we're bringing back a segment. And I think the only reason we're bringing it back is because a dear coworker of mine, her, her name's Liwa, was super bummed that we got rid of our What You Heard segment, dude. She's not going to be bummed anymore because we're bringing it back. Awesome. So, what you heard's is basically music that we've heard over the last couple weeks in between our full length episodes. It it can be a brand new song, it can be some random ass old song that we heard just randomly, you know? It can be something you heard on the radio. Uh shit, man. I one time my what you heard was freaking uh, Babylon. <laughs> that song by that one guy, David Gray. Yeah. So, let's start with you, Trav. What you been heard and do lately? Q, have you heard of the band called The OCs? Uh, yes, I have. I fucking love them. Uh, well, it's possible you've heard this then. I love them, but I haven't uh, really dove into them enough. Okay. But well, I'm a fan. Get, I'm a fan. Get Just get ready to, to blow your load, dude. Right. <laughs> I'm ready. So they came out with an album um, back in August. Well, back in August. Two weeks ago. So they came out with an album two weeks ago called Face Stabber. Uh, and it's their latest full length and the OCs, they, they seem to, um, kind of evolve and and experiment a lot with their sound from album to album. They even changed their name quite a bit. Like, you know, this, this album, I I think they, they just go by OCs now. Um, but they, you know, they've gone through a, a number of different iterations. Um, but again, this album is called face stabber. It's got this dope ass album art, dude. Yeah, I like it. Looks it. like it looks, looks like, like an ogre of some kind. 
Yeah, it looks like an ogre you would see in a, a Dungeons and Dragons manual or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so this album is basically, you know, it's like a it's progressive rock almost. Like it sounds like, you know, it sounds like Can or, um, you know, a little bit of Yes here and there. Like you can see snippets of it. You know, like this is to to me the OCs or at least this album is sort of like the net like it's it's a progressive album in the year 2019 you know what i mean yeah i'm looking at a song that's 14 minutes long right that's what i'm saying yeah but like totally. you know it's it's a very consistent album they don't they don't really bounce around too much like it's it's all very consistent but it's also it's very experimental from time to time but it's very it's it's progressive and psychedelic but it's it's uh, it's incredible. It's one of those albums you got to push play on and just let it rip. But Let's anyway, do it. Uh, we're gonna play one song here, and we're gonna play maybe two minutes of it because you gotta get, get a good feel for it. But it's track five, and it's called Foo Z. <laughs> Yeah, dude, that's straight up like King Crimson. Yeah, man. Can uh yes. Yeah. Exactly. Straight yeah, up. It's it's fucking great. That's man. crazy, man. That's nothing like what I've heard of theirs. Yeah, I mean they they another thing worth noting about these guys. It really it's just it's, it's one main guy. His name is John Dwyer. 
Um, but he's just super prolific, man. Dude, I mean, how often is that the case? You know, we've talked yeah. about Tame Impala. Uh, you mean you mean the fact that it's one guy? It's, yeah, it's just one guy, and yeah. like you know, you you all these years you think it's a full band, you know, a collective yeah. effort, and it's just right. one person. I, I'm just saying, if you look at if you look at their discography, uh, you know, they're putting out records, you know, sometimes twice in a year. You know, they're putting out a record. But yeah, so anyway, uh, like I said, pull it up, push play. Um, you're not going to be disappointed. It's it's a great listen through. Awesome. All right, so my What You Heard is something I literally heard this morning for the first time. Wow. Um, so this is fresh, man. That's fresh, fresh as it gets. Is, it's, it, not only is it fresh for me, but it's a fresh-ass album, dude. It came out on August 23rd. Fresh-ass um, so, have you heard of an artist that goes by J-Sum? Mm, I don't believe so. So, her name is Melina Duterte, and she goes by J-Sum. Uh, and she just released her second album under the name. Um, and Dude, if, if you want to say something crazy, man, she's playing a... I'm looking at a picture. She's playing a Jaguar. <laughs> nice. If you want to tie it back to... <laughs> Dude. So, uh, I... Followed a link to a Pitchfork review of this album, and I clicked on it simply because I liked the album art. Look at that beauty, dude. Yeah, that's nice. I'll yeah. put that on my wall, dude. I bought it today. <laughs> you did? Oh, you bought the <laughs> album. I bought the album today. Dang, man. Um, Listen, man, this is just one of those albums you press play, and you're like, okay, I, yep, I'm totally into it. Um, okay. So I'm just going to quote this Pitchfork reviewer uh at the very beginning she says melina duterte's second album is jason sounds exploratory and playful like a jam session among friends that's just hit its stride um i'm just gonna let the music play for itself dude so uh this is a few tracks down in the album it is called devotion Soul, I'm right? It. Yeah, I mean, so dude, just that that transition that she did there at the I end know, with man. that with that organ sound. Yeah. Mm, man. Dude, and it's all about that baseline, right? Oof. Yeah, dude. Yeah, so uh, I'm guessing the whole record's like that, right? Well, uh, honestly, I picked that song because it's the most poppy. Um okay. there's more songs that are are a little bit more I don't know, psychedelic. 
Okay. The word bedroom pop is thrown around a few times describing okay. her. Um, Q, okay, let's just hold on. Let's just take a quick second here. What okay. would you say the difference between bedroom pop and dream pop is? Okay. Because well, one could easily confuse the two, dream, bed. So I think bedroom specifically, uh, bedroom pop, I think that kind of has a more DIY feel to it. You know? Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like bedroom pop, a lot of times, you know, with, with artists that we've covered before, uh, and I'm I'm gonna say the word hypnagogic pop just Jeez, for my son of a bitch. <laughs> but I feel like we can't go one episode. On. Okay, the, the reason I bring it up is half joking because my friend from work, Liwa, told me today because she just listened to one of our recent episodes. She said, "Dude, I'm I'm gonna make a fucking drinking game for every time you guys say the word hypnagogic <laughs> pop, and I'm gonna be plastered by the time the, <laughs> the episode." Uh, dude, what's her name? Her name's Liwa. Liwa, uh, cheers, cheers. <laughs> um, no, but like we've you know with bands like Tycho that we've covered, uh, yeah, washed sure. out. Um, I'm sure there's another one that I can't think of, but like you know they they start out literally in their bedroom with their keyboard, okay, one shitty ass mic. They press record. You know, I feel like that. Well, let me tell you who I think of. Who I immediately think of is Mac DeMarco. Okay, yeah, exactly. But it's that like almost like. I don't know. Like, I mean, yeah, like you said, like DIY vibe to it. Yeah. Right. But anyway, um, yeah, I'm definitely going to give that a listen, dude. Love it. So, yeah, I mean, this is, I think we've proven why we need to continue to do what you heard. Cause you know, where else are you going to hear my ability Valentine, some shoegaze followed by progressive rock, followed by whatever you want to call that last track. I mean, yeah, this is what we're all about, man. Sharing music with each other. And with anybody who's willing to listen to this podcast. Yeah. And let me just say, I think the reason we took it away is because we were worried that our episodes were getting too lengthy. And like, we wanted to make sure that we, that we, you know, dove right into the artist that we were covering for the week. You know, we just wanted to to get right into the meat of the episode first. Uh, you know, so we're going to do our What Your Herds at the end now. Um, and that's it for today. Uh, I'm super... Glad that I got to share some My Bloody Valentine's tunes with you that you've never heard before, dude. That's awesome. I hope you really give this album a good listen. It is totally worth, uh, you know, a, a, a press play and, and listen to all the way through. Totally worth it, man. Yeah, I definitely will. Good. So, Q, what are we, what are we covering for our sidetrack? Do we know? So, uh, we have been kind of hanging out in this shoegaze territory for a bit now because we covered Slow Dive. A week I think before, we should, I think we should mix it up a little bit. Okay, I'll see. What Dude, I, I mean, the fact that we mentioned um, Sonic Youth and Dinosaur Junior, yeah. we could play one of their tracks, dude. Okay, yeah, I'll look into it. Actually, you know what, dude? Okay, never mind. I'm not gonna spill beans. <laughs> all right, um, all right. And then the following week, what's our next full length gonna be? I think we already figured it out, but I don't remember. Do we want to wait and spoil that later? We'll spoil it later. All right, so that is it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Um, and hey, hop on to the Pantheon Music Network. There are a ton of awesome music podcasts within our network. Give them a listen, man. There's a lot of great content out there. We are, again, super excited to be part of the family. And be sure to hop on our website at some point in your life. 
nofillerpodcast.com. There we've got our show notes where we'll post links to every single article that we pull content from. Um, We'll have links to videos and interviews. We'll have a full track list from every song that we covered, including our What You Heard's. Lots of great information on our website. And uh, for our outro today, I'm going to play another song from uh, My Bloody Valentine's 1988 LP that uh, I talked about earlier called You Made Me Realize. This is the EP where you first hear Kevin Shields kind of experimenting with, with that technique, that glide guitar technique. It's a little bit different than Loveless, but I really like it. Um, so we're going to outro us out with one of those songs. And uh, yeah, next week we'll we'll be coming back at you with a sidetrack. Uh, another artist in the same vein. And uh, until then, thank you so much for listening. So uh, this song is called Thorn off of My Bloody Valentine's 1988 EP, You Made Me Realize. My name is Quentin. My name is Travis. And y'all take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. 
and why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 